Good morning, Door Creek Church. How are you all today? Good. If you're a guest here, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. We're really glad to welcome you. And this is actually a historic day in the life of our church. So in a little over an hour, a service will begin for the very first time at our new Northside Madison campus. So there's a picture of the staff as we met there this week praying with David and over David, which is great. And there's another picture of the team rehearsing, the worship team rehearsing last night. And it's this great, great space that God has blessed us with. And we can't wait to get in there and bless the North Side community as this loving new community of Door Creekers is positioned well to serve there and we with them, right? So this is, this is for all of us. So exciting, exciting times for our church. It's been an eventful last couple of weeks for the My Fairs. And uh, we moved yesterday. And you can imagine there's just a little bit of work that needs to be done after you lived in a place for 12 years and you're moving to another place. And one of the unanticipated things was that we needed to get our well and our septic system inspected. No big deal. The pump's been running. The septic's been doing its thing, and it shouldn't be a big deal. Well, all of a sudden, we get the report back, and we're like in code violation all over the place. So I didn't know that the DNR thought that there is a box that's a little bigger than our box that would be a little better watertight than ours, and we need to get that fixed. So there's an electric switch, and there is some pressure in the tank that need to get fixed. But the, the humdinger of it was that there's actually supposed to be six observation pipes where you can look into the drain field to make sure it's dry and it's okay. And all that we had was one. That's what we inherited, one. And here's the picture. It's just kind of tucked. No, oh, the other picture. It's the other picture. Yeah, that one right up in the flower bed behind the red flag. There's a little white thing. You see a little white thing? It's really well disguised. That's, that's our one. We got one. And all I ever thought was we needed one because that's all we've ever had. But lo and behold, they showed me on a piece of paper this really fancy diagram. See how fancy this is, front row? <laughs> kind of look like the back of a napkin. And sure enough, there's six little dots. And so we've got one. We're in code violation. And they're telling us that we need to get all six. So I'm going, well, how do you find these buggers? They're, they're like plastic. So it's not like you get a metal detector and go, oh, here's one, here's <laughs> one. And then we weren't even sure which that one was. Like, is that, is that the top one? Is it the next one down? And anyways, I, I called up the people that we bought it from, just really kind people. And they said, yeah, we did cut them off. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, don't give him a hard time. Like, everybody cuts him off because all the installers say, it's all good, just cut them off. So they cut them off, and they said, yeah, we kind of know where they are. So they came over on a Saturday morning. That was really nice. And so we got our, you know, we got our tape measure out. We figured out how far these were apart from each other, kind of. And um, I put my pitchfork in first time, and I hit it. And like, we're high-fiving, and then I dig in, and I realize I hit a rock. <laughs> oh, my word. We were so excited. For two hours, the four of us were digging around trying to find one of these. We couldn't find it. So I'm going, what are we supposed to do? 
We can't bring a backhoe and just dig it all up because we'll probably ruin something. So my landscaper friend, Mark, he says, hey, my brother Steve, he's in an underground utility thing. He's got a fancy machine. It's a GPR. It's like a fish finder for buried things in the dirt. You just call him up. So Steve comes out with his $30,000, you know, little fish finder here. And he's got his guy, and he's looking at all the high-tech resolution. And per pretty soon, they've got the trenches. And then you got the little spray can, right? We got the little lines. And we can tell it's on an angle. We can see where the trenches are. But we have still absolutely no clue. Like, where, where are the buried observation points? So this is how it happened. Steve, who's like a 30-year veteran, he's, he's, no, he was over here. He was over here. <laughs> he's over here, and he starts going. He's doing this. I'm going, what's this little shuffle thing? And he, just, just like what I'm doing right here. And he goes, ah, this is a low spot right here. I said, well, I've been digging in high spots, low spots, medium spots for like two weeks now. It's worth a try. I throw a shovel in there, and voila, we find one. And it was like, Steve, that was awesome. He even had one of those, I don't know what they're called. Do you know what they're called? Where you get those little sticks, and it's supposed to show you where the wall, you know, one of those things. He had like a high-tech one. He was walking around with that. But at the end of the day, it was the shuffle. It was the Steve shuffle, low spot. We found it. All right, so now we got one. The trench is 90 feet long, and it says on this angle, there should be another one, 64 feet. So no high tech. Steve just starts doing the shuffle over here. And he goes, I think this is a low spot. That's good enough for me. It worked over there. We found another one. She's like, this is awesome. So then on an angle, there should be another one, like 10 feet you know, right here. And he does his little Steve shuffle thing. Sure enough, there's a low spot, and we find another one. This is like, oh, my word. Then we got to go over here 56 feet on this angle <laughs> and go to the other picture, Heather. And this is where, I, I'm not kidding you, that is 7 feet by 10 feet. That's 70 square feet. It's under there somewhere, but I couldn't find it. We dug everywhere for that one. And at the end of the day, I said, man, four out of six, that ought to count for something. <laughs> I mean, we got an observation in each one of the drain fields, and as I'm going through this, I'm going, this has got to be a sermon illustration for something. I have no clue. It's just a great story. No, actually what it made me think of is some of these parables. Like, like I was so ecstatic when we found that first one. It made me think of the woman with the lost coin or the shepherd with the lost sheep in Luke 15 who says to his friends and relatives, rejoice with me for that which was lost has been found. And I wanted to shout that from my neighborhood, you know, but I didn't think they would quite appreciate that what I found was just like a manhole cover. And then I was thinking about the guy who was out digging and he found treasure. And right, remember, he buried it up again and then he went and bought the field. And I thought, well, it's probably not worth that much, but it felt like treasure to me that we found it. And then this week I realized, oh, it's a lot like the story this week because there's all kinds of soil. There was rocky soil. Oh, yeah, man, did I, I pull out more rocks thinking we had hit it. Oh, man, so there was rocky soil. There was good soil, to be sure. There, there was definitely weed, weed thorny soil as well. And there was some clay, too, some really hard-packed stuff. And it reminded me of the parable that Jesus told of the four soils. So grab your Bible. And let's catch up with that story. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. Luke has it as well. Mark has it as well. Luke 8, Mark 4. But we're going to look at Matthew's account. 
And here's what we're going to do. Chapter 13, the first 23 verses, divides down like this. Verses 1 through 9, Jesus is going to tell the story. Verses 10 through 17, he's going to answer the question that the disciples asked. Jesus, why do you keep telling stories like this, these parables to the crowds? And then in 18 through 23, he's going to tell the meaning and give the application for us to wrestle with here in chapter 13. So we're in the very first book of the New Testament. Grab your table of contents if you need to after the book of Malachi before Mark's gospel. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So there's four different soils, right? But what's the same? There's a lot that's the same. So let's look at the slide with the four different soils. So you got the path that, that you know, it, it's worn down because people are walking on it. So imagine a field and imagine kind of like, you know, an ancient sidewalk, a pathway where people were walking through the countryside. Some of it fell on that. It was hard ground. It was trodden ground, right? So that was the path. That seed was snatched by the birds. Then you had the rocky, which was the shallow soil. And when the sun came out, that seed you know, it withered. And, and then there was a seed that fell among the thorns that was choked off. And then there was the seed that fell in the good soil that bore a great, great harvest. In, in those days, if you got a harvest of like 10 times what you threw out over the field, that was called a great harvest. So 30, 60, 100 times. This was awesome. So you've got different soils, but you've got some similarities, right? So it's the same farmer who's casting out the same seed. Now, you know how they did it. They had this bag, right? So they'd go over the bag, and they put it in their hand, and they just go down here, and they just, they'd be throwing it up, and it's just going all over the place. And he didn't know where it was landing. All he knew is he had good seed, but he had different kinds of soil where it was following, falling. Now, think of that 30, 60, 100 kind of bumper crop. Made me think of a week ago. We were at my cousin's house down near DeKalb, Illinois. He had a little family reunion get-together. He's got like 17 acres, and he leases some of the acreage to a farmer. And I saw some soybean plants like I've never seen before. This is my cousin's daughter, Alyssa, who's a senior in college. She's probably 5'5", something like that. So that's soybean up to here. I mean, we're used to kind of like down in here, right? I was just going, what in the world? There's a riverbed right behind it. But I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's a good, that's good soil. That is good soil. Because there's soybean fields not far from there that are half that size. That's good soil. That's like a hundredfold kind of crop. So there's differences, but there are similarities going on here. And Jesus ends it by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So you say, hey, guys, listen up. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
And we're expecting the disciples to go, not exactly, so why don't you explain to us what you're saying so we don't miss it? But what they end up saying, and it's not in the text, but it's almost like we could hear them say, Jesus, there you go again. You're telling parables. And why do you do that to the crowds? Because you, you, you talk to us in a different way. You explain things to us. Why, why do you kind of just give this cryptic story? It's interesting. We kind of get what's going on, but we're not sure exactly what's going on. Why, why these stories? And we pick up with that very thought. In verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So here's Jesus answered. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, disciples, but not to them, the crowds. Whoever has will be given more, like the disciples. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, like the crowds, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Now he begins to quote. So when you ever see your Bible in an indents like that, that's an Old Testament quotation. There's usually going to be a letter there, and you go to the bottom of the page and go, oh, that, that's it, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. You go, I have no idea what that is. Well, that's one of the books of the Old Testament. It's a prophet who wrote some 800 years before Jesus. And he's quoting, Jesus knows his Bible. His Bible was the Old Testament. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. And he's referencing the Old Testament to explain to his disciples why it is that he's doing what he's doing. So he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And just about then, we're going, but I thought that's why you came, to seek and to save that which is lost. So 15, like, hits us, and we're going, I wasn't expecting that, Jesus. I was kind of expecting that the answer to why do you use parables is because everybody loves a story. And, and it's so easy to kind of remember a story. And, like, he's going in a completely different direction and it gets really hard when he says well man if I, if I if I didn't use parables well they might actually repent and we're going but I thought that's what you came because at the beginning it says Jesus preached the kingdom of God and he called people to repent repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and I'm the promised king and follow me I am God's promised savior so we're scratching our heads going, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I thought that's why you're here. This is a huge surprise. All right. So, so just when we get these places and we're reading, I mean, the ease, like what I would have loved to do this week is go, can we just skip from verse 9 and pick it up again in verse 18 and go, that was kind of a hard, confusing part. I have no idea what's talking about. And let's just keep going to the meat of this thing about the soils. And, you know, actually, it has everything to do with the soils. And we need to understand how Matthew's put this all together here and how this account goes. Because the similarity is in Mark's account and in Luke's account. In other words, they actually did ask the question, why do you use parables to the crowds? 
okay? So we got to do some contextual work. If we're trying to understand it here in Matthew 13, let's understand the context of what's going on. You go back to chapter 11, and we read about this. So just turn back a couple pages to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we pick up the story where we, we realize that um, John the Baptist is, has uh, been on the scene, and um, he's been rejected, and Jesus talks about that in verse 18. So he's talking about the rejection of the forerunner, his cousin John, who came to get people ready to meet Christ. For John came neither eating nor drinking. He took that vow, that Nazarite vow. And people said of him, he has a demon. So he was rejected, right? They didn't believe in his message. They didn't get themselves ready for that. The son of man, Jesus speaking of himself, is self uh, use title that comes out of Ma uh, Daniel in the Old Testament. The Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, came eating and drinking. He didn't take the Nazarite vow. And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he's starting to talk about he was, he was rejected. And he's giving some context to his disciples about what's going on in his ministry where not everybody is following him. Oh, they're following him for miracles. They're excited about some, some really cool miracles. Even the religious leaders are asking for miracles, signs, and wonders. But they're not acknowledging. They're curious, but there's not many. But there are many who are rejecting him. Go down. In verse 20, he starts talking about, then Jesus began to announce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. What were the miracles about? Well, the miracle would give attestation that he is the son of God and he has these divine powers and that what he's saying is true and that these are little kind of object lessons, if you will, of the kingdom of God breaking out in their own day where things are being made new, things are being restored, like the man with the withered hand, like the blind, like the... Like the dead girl who's raised up, but they're rejecting it. And he says, verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin, one of the towns there, right along the shore, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, outside of the promised land, to people who weren't Jews that had the law and the promises of God, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, that was his headquarter town, very northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You're going to go down in judgment. You'll go down to Hades. Then you go to chapter 12, and we read more about it. So Jesus just, in verse 22, he's just healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and, and said, could this be the son of David? Is this the promised Savior? David's son who's going to set up an eternal kingdom, reign forever? <laughs> Look at what happens next. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, heard this, and they said, it's only by Beelzebul. Who's that? That's the devil. It's only by Beelzebul. It's only because he's the devil that he can cast out demons. So he's being rejected by the masses. People who are seeing but not perceiving, who are hearing but they're not getting it, whose hearts are calloused. And though his parables, as they're explained, bring blessing and further knowledge so that those who have get more, those who don't have, even what they have is taken away. And he confirms through the parables their own judgment as they've hardened their hearts and rejected the same message that the disciples have received by God's grace. That's what's going on. 
And so he says back in chapter 13, in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, disciples, because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. They were looking, expecting this promised Messiah, but they never got to see it, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so you've got this whole thing going on where you've got the disciples. It's a small group. Jesus, the Son of God, has come after 30 years of living this humble life, and now he enters in this public phase of ministry, and he comes heralding the good news of the kingdom, that he's the promised Savior, and he's the one who can forgive us of our sins, and he is the one who is the hope of all of God's people. And people are receiving him, they're seeing it, and there's a ton who are seeing it and hearing it, and they're not getting it. And we should get that, because that happens to us. So anybody ever find themselves at a stop sign making a left-hand turn? And you look this way, and you look this way, and you look this way again, and you pulled out, and all of a sudden from this way, a car comes, and you hit the brakes and go, whoa, I didn't see it. Does that ever happen to you? Just me. Okay. (laughs) So we looked, right? Did we look? We totally looked, but we didn't see it. Spiritually, that happens. It actually could be happening right now. We could be here. Seeing and hearing, not perceptive. Hearing. So Lori and I, man, 37 years we've been doing life together. Love my wife, and we've got a great marriage. But we're always working this communication thing. I don't know, maybe I'm getting hard of hearing or something. But we think we can hear each other anywhere we are in the house. And now this new house is really tricky because our old house was one level. Now we're on three levels. And, you know, we can't find each other. And, um, but the truth is there are times when we are like, this far away from each other, but if one of us is answering an email or a text, it doesn't matter how loud we're talking, they're not gonna hear, there is just this weird, it probably is just us, probably doesn't happen to you guys. And I'm sure you millennials have figured out how to grow a third ear or something, because I don't know. Because it's just like your brain is focused here, you know, for us, we gotta focus a little harder, millennials, than you do probably, and we can't do both. So we're hearing, you know, it's kind of like peanuts, wah, 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 you know, we're hearing that, but we don't actually hear it. So that happens in life, and Jesus is opening our understanding to that actually happens in spiritual life, that we could be here and not get it. We could have been going to church all our lives and not understanding it. And he says, to you, the secrets of the kingdom have been given that you understand the secret of the kingdom is fundamentally Christ. He is the promised king, and he's come to make all things right. And giving your life fully to him as his follower is how you enter in and get more and more and more and more. And these people have hardened their heart. They refuse to submit to my leadership, to acknowledge my place in this world as a son of God, the promised savior. And so I'm, I'm giving it to you and explaining it to you, and it blesses you, but it's veiled. They're not getting it fully through these parables, and I'm confirming their own judgment. Are you with me? The story, why stories? All right, and then he says, Let's, let me tell you about this story then. So go back and pick it up in verse 18. 
Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Now remember who he's doing this to. He's given this explanation to who? Disciples, not the crowd. Okay, good. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. Ah, the bird was analogous of the evil one, of the enemy. The seed is sown along the path, right? Verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, shallow roots, right? Shallow soil, gets warm real quick, it germinates real fast, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution, that's the thorns, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, all these distractions, and the deceitfulness of wealth, all these attractions, choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. So what's Jesus' interpretation? It's pretty clear, starting with the seed. The seed is the message of the kingdom. The seed is the word of God that is all about Christ, the king. That's what the seed is. And it's sown all around, all kinds of different people and places. And the soil then represents different people's hearts. There's hard hearts, right? And then there's rocky soil, shallow hearts. There's these distracted kind of hearts with the worries and the deceitfulness of riches. And then there's these good, honest hearts that cling to the word and patiently bear fruit, Luke would say in his account of this. So we, look, we, we think of it, the, the path. They hear it, and here's the thing. They all hear it. They all have an encounter with the word of God. It's not like something didn't hear it. No, they all hear it. They, they all have an interface with the word. So the, the, uh, the path people, right, they hear it, but they don't understand it. The evil one snatches it. The rocky, they hear it. They receive it with joy. Man, it looks like the real thing. These people are so, you were so excited when it first started. And, and you were like, oh, this is awesome. My new life with Christ. I'm a Christ follower. Everything's going great in my life. And then all of a sudden, whoa. Like, what just happened here? It says, because of their suffering for the word. So you're trying to live out the word. You're trying to be a witness for Christ. And there's some hard things that come in your life, which is often what happens because God uses hard things to do good things in our life and we live in a fallen world and Jesus didn't promise he didn't say pick up your crown and follow me because man we're in you're in heaven now and it's just going to be easy cheesy breezy you know it's going to be tiptoeing through the tulips no he said pick up your what cross and follow me. But hey, I, 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 thought, I thought my life was just going to be fixed. I thought it was going to be all good. I mean, I'm, I'm all for, you know, the forgiveness. That was huge. But man, I just thought when I gave my life to Christ, he was just going to pave the way. And, and, and this isn't a paved way. This is hard. And I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. Right? And, and then there's the thorny 
with the distractions of the worries of life. So what are you, what are you worrying about right now? When you had those anxiety attacks, what, what, what was that? What, what are the things that we worry about? I mean, we just start going down a list, right? Things like money or the lack of or the amount of debt. And we worry about our kids. We worry about our health, about our parents. If we got aging parents, we worry about our careers, right? Our jobs. A, a lot of times when we're young, we, we worry about failure. Am I, am I going to be able to succeed? We worry about relationships that are, that are maybe just a little off or maybe a lot off. And, and these worries distract us from the word. And it begins to just choke off this life-giving, powerful word in our life. He says, this is another thing, though. It's not necessarily a distraction. It's an attraction where this whole thing about, well, man, I just think, I mean, it's great that Jesus is my Savior and he promises me eternal life in heaven. But man, I, I, th- I think if, if I had a little more of this or a little bit more of that, or man, I feel a lot better about myself and a lot more secure about my future if we just had a little bit more set aside and we get choked off by the attraction, which is a deceitful thing, he says, of wealth, that wealth is gonna take care of it. Everything I need, I can buy it. And then when we get to the points where we go, well, maybe not everything, but when I realize I can't, at least I can go do something that makes me feel better with the wealth that I have. And he says all those things, the distractions, the attractions, they choke off the word. But that good soil, that honest heart, that heart that clings to the word, patiently bears fruit. So there's like some implications that we need to chase down here. The first is this. It's not enough to simply hear it because they all heard it. It's not enough to go to church. It's actually not enough to read your Bible and say, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. Because hearing it is perceiving it. It's comprehending it. It's putting it together in a holistic way that moves from my understanding to my heart's volition to actually my attitudes and actions. It's not enough to just hear it. What does James, Jesus' brother, say? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So some of us, we go to church and Jesus is telling us we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're good soil because we hear the word of God. All right? That's an implication. The second is hearing is not easy and it's not unimportant. Look, you guys know I spent a lot of time getting ready for a message. And it's one of the great joys and it's one of the great burdens of being a pastor. But I also know it's work for you guys. Like, you're, just since I started talking, how many different things have you thought about? When you walked in here, what was the weight in your life right now that you brought in here? It is, it, it is a fallacy to think that, oh, listening and listening to a message isn't easy. You know, that for me, and I don't say it works for you, but for me, that's why I'm always writing when someone's speaking. It just keeps me focused. That's why we put a page in there. 
and it may work for you, it may not work for you, it's okay. But it's good to just know this, it's not easy. It's not easy to teach God's word clear, and it's not easy to hear it and discipline ourselves. And we need to understand, not only is it not easy, it's not unimportant Because Jesus is going to say, and we're going to catch up with it later in John 15, that if we're people that don't hear the word of God, even though we're hearing the word of God, you hear what I'm saying? We hear the word of God, but we're not receiving it. We're not perceiving it. It's not now integrated and transforming our life. It's not just an information dump, but it's a transformation of our whole self that if it's not happening, there's no fruit being born in our life, then that's, that's dead branches that gets thrown in the fire. That's not a life that's marked by true faith. That's not a true disciple of God. So it's really important that we understand the importance Christ is placing here on how we receive the word. There's a third implication. There's super significant obstacles in life that make hearing difficult. So go to the next slide, and we'll just look at some of those obstacles. So we noted there's the evil one. Whoa, what is that? Well, there actually is, the Bible says, there is a fallen angel, Lucifer, who wanted the glory of God and bolted and led a rebellion with other angels, and they work against God's purposes. And they're working against his purposes in the world, and they're working against his purposes in our own life. And he's the one who snatches away the word, snatches away the word. How does he do that? The first way he does it is getting us to doubt that the author is good. Why do I say that? Because that's his first trick in Genesis. Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? He gets into question the truth. Hey, the truth is you won't die. He contradicts the truth. Then he basically says, hey, you know what? He is holding out something good for you because you're going to be like God and he doesn't want you to be like God. He gets them to doubt his goodness. That's the enemy. That's an external force that works in our mind and our thinking. Man, I think this is good for me and I think God's holding back something good. The evil one. There's another obstacle, suffering and persecution that goes, well, man, I don't think the word is true. Because we had a misunderstanding of the word. Man, if the word is true, like what? Like I'm doing the work for crying out loud. And I'm claiming the promises. And I'm getting pummeled. And it's not ending. And I don't know when this storm is ever going to stop. And so we, it, that just, the temptation is the word isn't true. The worries of life that it's not enough. And then you've got the deceitfulness of wealth that it's not actually even necessary. So real obstacles. There's a fourth implication. God's word is meant to bear fruit in a person's life. So we'll read this wonderful passage from Jesus' own words here in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's God's plan from the very, very beginning. The first commandment to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. You're created the image of God. Let that grow and blossom in your life that the fruit of your character just blesses other people as you go and fill the whole earth with my image. Be fruitful and multiply. I appointed you to bear fruit. God gives his disciples fifth understanding 
you go back to verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. He didn't say, well, here's the deal. You guys are just smarter than the crowd. And so um, you guys figured it out. You solved the mystery. You figured out the secrets. No, I, I gave you the understanding. The Bible will say this about our spiritual condition. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we're dead. What does that mean? We're like alive before Christ. No, we're spiritually flatline dead. We have no more ability than a corpse to do anything that would bring ourselves favor before God. He gives out of his grace. You go, why didn't he give that to everybody? Well, he came proclaiming. Romans will say the whole creation is pointing to him. But it is now in our fallen nature where we don't want to submit to anything else. We don't want anybody else to be our king and our God. We want to be in control of our life, right? I mean, come on, who's ready every morning of every day to say, just somebody else run my life? And finally, the sixth implication. Hey, as we go out sowing the seed, expect different results. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that some of the relationships we have is hard, that some is shallow, some is getting choked out, and some will fall on the good soil. And we don't know. We do not know. It says we don't even know our own hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. Who can know it? God knows it. You and I have no idea when we start living and sharing the good news what kind of soil this seed is falling on. That's not ours to know. We're just supposed to keep casting it, keep sharing it, keep living it. So those are the implications. So what do we do with application? Well, we ask ourselves some basic questions. Have I received the secrets of the kingdom by God's grace where I've recognized that Jesus is the king and I've done what he's asked me to do, to humble myself before him? I love that about the church when we visit there in Bethlehem, the church of the nativity. should have the slide, but I'm just thinking of it now. But there's this tiny little door that it's like, it, it's like here and you got, you got to get down here to get in. And it's just this representation to come before God in true faith requires humility, this poverty of spirit. Have, have we done that? Or are we, are we just distracted by the worries? Are we just chasing the things of, of wealth and what it could buy? Have we given our life to Christ? If we have not, do it today. Well, it raises the question, why? Why should I do it? Why is it important that I have a heart that bears a harvest 30, 60, 100 times? There's one word, joy. Joy. Do you think that farmer's jacked up about that soy, soybean field? I mean, play it out the other way. We haven't had any rain. It's parched. There's no, is there joy? For, the farmer's going, oh, my word, oh, my word, I'm going to lose the whole crop. What am I going to do? When you look at that, you go, this is awesome. Okay, we're not farmers. So did you plant some tomatoes? <laughs> did, did you get some tomatoes? Isn't it great? Like you, you see them growing, and then you grab some of those, and you put it in your salad, or you just put it in your mouth, and you go, this is awesome. We love, it brings joy, and it brings joy to God, and it brings joy to other people when our lives are growing to be more like Christ. 
and his spirit in us and the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control are growing up. This is blessing other people. Why should we want to bear a, a harvest? Because it brings joy to your life. It brings joy to others. And Jesus says, it honors, it honors God because you were made to grow. You were made to multiply. It's never been just about you. It's about been blessing all the families of the world. God calls us into that. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to turn to God and confess. We need to turn to God and ask him to open our eyes like the psalmist in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And then we just need to cling. I love how Luke uses it. The, the, the person of the good soil is honest and he clings. He clings to the word. And the word is Christ. And clinging to the word is clinging to Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John 15. L listen to this. Remain in me. Abide in me. Cling as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. See, it's a work of God. It must remain in the vine. Our connection to Christ is how we grow. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no lasting fruit apart from Christ. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, in my words, remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let him who has ears hear. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we remember that beautiful picture of the tree, that person who delights in your word, which is all about your son, the living word. And he meditates and mulls over the beauty of your word is gonna be like a tree that is strong and planted and has that source of water and it yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Lord, we want that. And it's only by your grace that we could want that. And if we don't want it today, Lord, thanks that you still love us and create that desire in our hearts to bear fruit and with that receive joy and dispense it to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, may we better know the condition of our own hearts even as you've used the word to be a mirror. And then thank you for Jesus who can make these hearts, whatever they are, thorny, shallow, or hard, good soil. Thanks that that's what you do. Thanks that that's what you came to do. That's what you're doing today. Creating us clean hearts, growing hearts, good hearts, honest hearts, noble hearts that cling to your word for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. God's people said, amen. amen.